0: Good afternoon. So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn to Galatians chapter 6 verses 11 through 18. It is said that the 18th century English Congregationalist minister, hymn writer and theologian Isaac Watts, his lifelong ambition according to his own words was to be a servant to churches and a helper of Christians. But as a child, Isaac Watts was never strong. And as a pastor, he was forced to resign early because of his poor health. And for the latter 30 years of his life, he was more or less an invalid, weakened by and disabled by his illness. But that didn't stop him from living out a cross-centered life. He devoted his life in the writing of many beautiful hymns, Still popular today. Perhaps you know of this one. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them through His blood. This classic hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, has often been called the greatest hymn in the English language. And another contemporary of Isaac Watts said of it, there may be few others equally great, but there is none greater than this hymn. All one needs to do is to realize the truth of this statement, is to sing this majestic hymn and you will be in agreement. And Isaac Watts penned this hymn in the year 1707. And he based this hymn on the scriptural verse, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. And this verse arguably summarizes the whole burden of the epistle of Galatians if you get anything from Paul's letter, get this point, get this message. Boast only in the cross of Christ. Amen? We're finally concluding our study through Galatians in our series, There is One Gospel. Originally, as you know, this study was supposed to be an 11-part message. But here we are finishing up with on our 14th message. Praise the Lord. I pray that you are encouraged, edified, and challenged through our study as we set out year 2023 with a burden and a prayer for New Covenant Baptist Church to be grounded in what is central and what ought to be the unquestionable priority, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. In a day where even in so many so-called Christian churches, the gospel is diminished, distorted, or dismissed altogether, our prayer was that we would grow in our love and passion for the gospel, that the message of Galatians, that there is one gospel and no other, and that salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, would be the sole basis and purpose of our life and mission together as a church. Amen? Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians in some of his most strongest corrective language for the Christians in Galatia and for Christians today to know what is the gospel and why it matters. And Paul set out to clarify the truth of the gospel, the defense of the gospel and the life of the gospel, And our passage this afternoon, Galatians chapter 6 verses 11 through 18 is the summary and conclusion of the letter. But Paul's words are some of the most profound and weighty words found in all of Scripture, even though this section is supposed to summarize and conclude the entire letter. So from our passage, I want to share with you two contrasting conclusions. Paul challenges the Galatians and Christians today, knowing what Christ has accomplished on the cross... How will you live your life? That's the question that this section asks. So here's the outline so you can follow. Point number one, boast not in the flesh. From verses 11 through 13. And point number two, boast only in the cross. Verses 14 through 18. Two contrasting conclusions. Point number one, boast not in the flesh. Point number two, boast only in the in the cross. Brothers and sisters, I pray this message will reignite a passion in your souls to love and live out the cross-centered life. I pray that you would be awakened anew to the purpose of your existence, to live your life to only boast in the cross of Christ. Guests and visitors, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today for our weekly Sunday gathering. If you are here and you do not consider yourself to be a Christian or not sure that you are, we especially welcome you. We want you to know that we've been praying for you, praying that God would lead you here today, so know that you are not here by coincidence. Scripture says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of Christ. And so we pray that you would hear His words today, that you would turn from looking to yourself or the world and to looking to Jesus, who is the only one who is able, who is the only one who came so that you can have a chance to know and live a life beyond bondage and brokenness and death. That this world offers. We want you to know that Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins, peace, salvation, freedom, present help, and eternal life. We pray that you would trust in him today. So without further ado, let's turn to his words found on page 975 in the blue Bibles around you. And as you turn there, I want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles open and reference it often as I read and preach to help you know and grow in God's word and in your faith. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, says this. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Two contrasting conclusions. Knowing that Jesus died and rose again, how will you live your life? Point number one, boast not in your flesh, from verses 11 through 13. The first observation we can make is that of all of Paul's epistles... This is a very atypical conclusion. One commentator notes some of its particularities, six of them. First, Paul emphasizes, you don't have to write these down, just listen. Paul emphasizes its significance by writing in large letters and with the use of an exclamation with the word, see, in verse 11. Paul is drawing your attention to these words that are about to come. These are important. See what large letters I'm writing. Second, these closing statements are much longer than usual, verses 12 through 15. Verse 16, the peace benediction is conditional. Fourth, the term Israel of God at the end of verse 16 is also unusual. The tone of verse 17 is caustic, seems a little sharp. And sixth, it lacks a personal greeting, an expression of praise or thanksgiving is absent in the concluding doxology. So, six reasons, six particularities why this specific conclusion is atypical than Paul's other conclusions uh, in his other letters. What this means is that Paul is clearly drawing a special attention to the words that he is about to write. We know from Paul's serious tone all throughout the letter, this may have been his final warning to the young Galatian Christians who are at the brink of apostasy, who are about to abandon their faith, to be led astray by false teachers known as the Judaizers. As I've said before, when you are warning someone who is about to fall into danger, you don't warn them passively or softly. Hey, be careful. Right? You get their attention. You make sure you are heard. As such, these words are of such importance. Paul draws attention to them specifically by writing it with his own hand. Look at verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, some of you are caught off guard by what this means because you thought, what? I thought Paul had been the author of the letter all along. But simply, it was common in their day for writers to write with the help of an emanuensis, someone who would write on behalf of one who dictates the contents of the letter. This was done for various reasons. This letter, for example, was to be read by numerous Christians in the churches of Galatia. It was a formal letter. Perhaps the help of an amanuensis would make the legibility of the letter much more readable. I often ask my wife, Jerry, to write thank you notes on my behalf as I dictate the contents because given my personality, as you know, my brain goes much faster than my hand and so my handwriting looks like they got tired from catching up. It's unreadable sometimes. So my wife is helpful in writing it more pretty so that it could be read. Uh, There are other reasons perhaps we were clued in that Paul may have had an eye disease earlier in the letter. Perhaps it was hard for him to write. We simply don't know. But what is clear here in this section, Paul wanted to draw attention to the contents of this conclusion. He says, See, look with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Usually, typically, Paul's personal signature came at the very end. He would just sign off with his, you know, signature. However, in this letter, Paul takes the reed pen from the Emanuensis to write this conclusion by his own hand. Again, Paul wanted the Galatian Christians to understand his deep concern and care for them for this one final time. And he draws their attention with all of his apostolic authority and with all of his love as a spiritual father, To say to the Galatian Christians, these words are important. These words are for you. These words are life and death. And so what is Paul's final message? Look at verses 12 and 13. It says this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, throughout the letter, Paul waged a steady campaign against a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers, who had sown a great confusion among Paul's recent converts in Galatia. They had been teaching that becoming Jewish or adhering to Jewish customs of uh, specifically circumcision was necessary for salvation. That circumcision was a necessary prerequisite for belonging to the covenant people of God. But as Paul corrected, the requirement of the old covenant to adhere to the law was a means for the Israelites to find true hope and true salvation in the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the work that He would accomplish on the cross by His death and by His resurrection. Not by keeping the law. Not by the merits of their own works. You see, Paul had said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, "...for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse." For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. See what Paul was saying was, unless a person can keep the law in its entirety, and keep them continually, you can't be justified, you can't be saved, you can't be righteous. In fact the opposite was true, wasn't it? The law obviously revealed what we were blinded to, dead in our trespasses and sins. We were under a curse, we were in bondage, we were damned. And so Paul had reminded the Galatians, that's why Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ became the cursed serpent hung on the tree who took our place as a substitute to pay our just punishment for our sins, the wrath of God fully and finally, that all who would look to Him and trust in Him might be saved to a new and eternal life. The law, Paul taught us, was merely a guardian, a disciplinarian, a schoolmaster to keep us in line because of the depravity of our sins until Christ came. In order that we might be justified through faith by grace in Him alone. Hence Paul had said to the Galatians, Do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do not nullify, do not cancel the grace of God. And here in this concluding remarks, Paul exposes the Judaizers' true motives of why they were so insistent on circumcision. Paul gives us a few reasons for their twisted manipulation, but that can actually all be summed up in one main reason, and that main reason is their pride. They wanted to boast in themselves. They forced circumcision because they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. The ironies of ironies, isn't it? Fleshly people boast in the flesh. Carnal people boast in the flesh. Literally in how many trophy foreskins they were about to win. We got this many people circumcised. That was their boast. That was their desire. One commentator wisely notes, and I quote, Showing off is one of the differences between a true and false religion. False religion gets caught up in the externals like attendance figures and worship rituals, light, smoke, fancy graphics, catered for the perfect worship experience. Outward religions is what cult leaders strive for when they pressure members to recruit new converts. It is what churches are after when they seek to entertain rather than to edify, or when they base salvation on what people do for God rather than on what God has done for them. True religion, however, is inward although it always works itself outward. It starts within where the Holy Spirit regenerates a sinner's heart and then it works out from there. The problem with making something like circumcision the essence of Christianity is that it is only an outward sign. It is merely external, something done to the body, to the flesh of sinful reliance. True religion is not based on outward works. It is based on inward faith close quote. Now think about that for a minute. What we see and realize is not that much has changed in the human heart for 2,000 years. Sadly, this is what we see and experience ever so prominently in our culture and society today, and as well as many of our churches who have adopted these worldly philosophies. The sinful human heart always looks outward for happiness and acceptance and peace but as much as you can change your outward appearance all you want, it doesn't change your inward heart, does it? You can change the outside, but doesn't mean the inside has changed at all. It doesn't change the essence of who you are. Outward change doesn't transform your inward heart. Only Christ can. You may be wondering, who in the world does this? Do Christians? Sadly, yes partly knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, admitting that Jesus died and rose again. No one can actually deny that, right? They they know the historical evidence of Jesus in in many of our churches. But the issue is some of these so-called Christians use what Christ has done for their own ends. Long ago, this is exactly what the devil did in heaven before he was cast out. He robbed God's glory. And still today, so many so-called Christians are doing this all around us. Even in so many churches around us, there's so much emphasis on the externals, isn't there? So-called Christian churches who have strayed from the truths of the gospel, who aim to substitute the cross for anything else, whatever it is, the rainbow flag, the banner of Christian nationalism or wokeism, or the more subtle practice of pragmatism or spiritual elitism. Let me be the first to say earlier on in my ministry, this was such a temptation, as a young youth pastor straight out of seminary I had gained a reputation as a pastor who gets a lot of students to be baptized and at first it was a celebration of what God was doing through my ministry praise God all these kids are getting baptized but very soon the focus on how many students are getting baptized this month I became such a temptation and a pressured false expectation and the measure of success which was entirely unbiblical and unhealthy for me and for the people that I minister to. So many churches still today, brothers and sisters, are guilty of this by promoting spontaneous baptisms without careful preparation of those who get baptized and encouraging emotional haphazard decisions regarding following Christ, whether intentional or unintentional. So many Christian organizations that measure a church's success based on baptisms, disconnected with local church membership, on decisions made for Christ, solely on metrics, As a measure of success, these practices, these ways of viewing success, they are entirely missing the point. Paul is telling us, teaching us, they simply want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to show off their flesh. You can't fake what a person or a church is about when they measure their success and value, their legitimacy solely on numbers and metrics. They are carnal. They are worldly. They are proud. Make no mistake about it was the emphasis that Paul was making. Again, it is a terrible measure of success. It is a terrible marker of faithfulness if you look only to the externals. So brothers and sisters, New Covenant Baptist Church, may we never get caught up on showing off by numbers. Amen? May we be faithful proclaimers of the Gospel. May we be diligent and vigilant in pursuing holy lives and bearing one another's burdens as we bear our own load well through discipling and through accountability. May we take up our corporate responsibilities well by loving and serving and growing and contributing intentionally, regularly, and joyfully in this local church body. We'll praise God when God sends new converts When God works among us and new converts are made and they join the church through baptisms. We'll praise God for the number of new members. But whether this baptismal is filled or empty every other month or not, we'll keep on going. We won't grow weary in doing good. We will not give up as long as we have the opportunity to do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. Furthermore, Paul gets real direct. And why these false teachers and false Christians were working so hard to make a good showing in the flesh. Why they were such show-offs of faith. Why they were forcing gospel plus something to legitimize their faith. They were saying to themselves, yeah, the gospel is good. Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus resurrected is good. But just like in our generation, in our day, they were saying, well, how about the gospel plus something else? How about gospel plus social justice? or politics or about economy or about LGBTQIA about loving and accepting everyone how about racial justice brothers and sisters Paul makes it clear and all of the scriptures are clear the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only news powerful enough to reconcile sinful man to God and sinful man to one another and a broken man or a woman to him or herself there is no news no cure, no solution, no answer beside it. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? As Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For as many of you are baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no males and females, for you are all one in Christ. Paul here isn't teaching about non-binary. He is pointing out the counter-cultural timeless corrective that in Christ all human beings are equal in essence, dignity and worth. That in Christ all the cultural barriers and boundaries and limitations are already repaired. That the dividing wall of hostility has been demolished. That Jews and Gentiles are accepted. That slaves and free are accepted. That males and females are accepted. You don't have to fake, or pretend, or try to be what you are not. Gentiles, you don't have to get circumcised to get accepted. Jews, you don't have to be ethnocentric to be holy. We are all one in Christ. He has restored unity in the family of God. You will not find true unity, and oneness, and acceptance, and love outside of the walls and boundaries of Christ and his church. You see, Paul exposes the real motivation why the Judaizers were so insistent in forcing their agenda. There at the end of verse 12 it says this, Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they didn't want to be canceled by high society. They didn't want to be canceled by this elite group of so-called Christians who are so exclusive, they demanded circumcision as a right of entry to their church community. Gosh, people really don't change, do they? This is still the forced expectation of today. If you are not virtue signaling the politically correct flag of tolerance, if your views are different from the mainstream media, you are canceled. They don't care about who you are. They're not afraid to turn on their own because you only belonged because you only conformed. Their agenda has not changed. Listen, Jesus says in Matthew 10, verses 22 and 23, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says it elsewhere, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A good indicator of whether you are truly in the faith is whether you are embracing persecution for Christ's sake. So examine your life. Are you more acceptable by the world or are you acceptable in the church? Do you experience opposition in the world? Or honestly, no one even knows you are a Christian at your workplace, at your school. You experience no conflict because you don't live or share your faith. And I'm asking you, Paul is asking you, Do you want to make a good showing in the flesh? Or do you want to show the world that you belong to Christ? Which is it? Do you want to make a good showing in the flesh? Or do you want to show the world that you belong to Christ? I encourage you to answer that question in your mind and live it out. In verse 13, Paul addresses the real issue of the Judaizers. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, But they desired to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. You see, Judaizers were hypocrites. They themselves did not keep the law. How did Paul know? Because the Bible itself says it is impossible to keep the law. And the laws that they forced and manipulated were laws they added on top of God's law. It was legalism. It was unbiblical They missed the point and the message of the scriptures that salvation is through faith by grace in Christ. And they created their own false religions that was impossible for anyone to keep. Paul says they desired to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And the young Galatian Christians were merely pawns for their own aims. The Judaizers did not care about the Galatian souls at all. They only cared about their own. Brothers and sisters, this seems redundant, but let me ask you so that you can ask yourself. Who in your life speaks hard truths to you? Truths based and grounded on scripture? Who cautions you when you stray from holiness? Who cautions you when you don't prioritize your personal devotion to God and your discipling? Who sticks with you through thick and thin, reminding you and encouraging you through the ups and downs of life? that they are committed to you because they are covenanted to you through church membership and because of the cross of Christ. How about yourself? Do you often find yourself boasting in your flesh? Examine yourself. How awesome you are? How smart you are? How much money you make? How strong you are? All the experiences you have? How good-looking you are? How theologically apt you are? Let me remind you of Paul's words. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. False religiosity, selfish ambition, hypocrisy will be exposed on that final day. God sees all things. God knows all things. And most importantly, God knows who are His. Do not boast in the flesh. It will fail you. It will disappoint you. It will not satisfy you. It will crush you. It will burn you. Ultimately, literally, in the flame of fire and hell. The only other option then, the only other valid conclusion, knowing what Christ has accomplished on the cross, how will you live your life? Point number two, boast only in the cross of Christ, from verses 14 through 18. Brothers and sisters, the burden, the emphasis, the force of Paul's letter and of his conclusion, the thrust of Paul's argument leads us to the next verse, verse 14. Look look at that verse. It says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. One of the few times the King James Version expresses a more clear translation in this verse is right here in this verse. In the King James Version it says this, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see in contrast to the false teachers, the Judaizers, who boasted and bragged about their own accomplishments, who are proud of their success in winning over as many Gentiles as they did, Gentile believers through circumcision. Paul declares in the strongest language possible God forbid, may it never be for me or for anyone else who truly knows and trusts in Christ that the only possible ground and object of my boasting may it only be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have to differentiate the type of boasting or selfish, self-righteous, bragging, prideful, self-aggrandizement that false Christians were doing from what Paul was promoting. You see in Romans 3, verses 21 through 27, immediately following his exposition of the righteousness of God, which is apart from the law, Paul poses the question, right? Where then is boasting? His answer was dogmatic and definitive. Boasting is excluded. When confronted with the infinitely amazing grace of God, the thought of self-glorification, spiritual ego stroking, vanishes entirely. Hence, what Paul was saying was the only kind of boasting Paul was speaking about was not in the sense of bragging, I'm proud of myself for being a religious zealot or a Christian. No, it meant so much more than just that. As theologian John Stott says, to boast in, in Paul's sense, is to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in, to live for. The object of our glory or boast fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory, our boasting, is our obsession. Now, that sounds super holy, And I'm sure many of us as Christians would not disagree that Christ would be our greatest boast, our greatest glory and obsession. But pay close attention to what Paul is exactly and accurately saying. Paul says, God forbid for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's obsession with the cross is strange, even in his day, for two reasons. First, Paul refused to live for anything any of the things that people would typically live for. He didn't boast about his popularity, about his intellect, influence, appearance, income, or job performance. Nor did he boast about his circumcision or anything regarding his spiritual record at all. Paul absolutely refused to take pride in any of his accomplishments at all. See, he never bragged about himself even though he had many reasons to. He was the foremost of the Jews in every aspect humanly aspect possible but that's not what his boast was about the second reason for Paul's boasting was even more strange and unusual because he was boasting in the cross of Christ now understand this in our day Christians are used to thinking about the cross as something beautiful and noble we wear crosses as our necklaces we wear it as our rings and our earrings we put it as decorations in our cars and in our homes and as a marker for our churches. But let me remind you, to the ancient people, the cross was the most ugliest thing imaginable. As commentator theologian Phil Riken says, the Romans considered the cross the most degrading, disgusting, despicable, detestable, and disgraceful. What Paul was saying was close to him saying, God forbid that I should ever take pride in anything except in the lynching of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was what Paul was saying. If it was in the modern day, the wearing of the cross as a mark of one's faith was like wearing a noose on our necklaces, as our earrings. Having nooses in our cars as decorations for our churches. But this was exactly what Paul was saying was his boast. His glory, his obsession. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross should have been an embarrassment to the early church. What would people think when they discovered that the founder of Christianity had been executed like a low-life criminal? But instead of denying this, or covering it up, Christians promoted it. Christians proclaimed it. The very thing that most people considered to be so obscene, even to whisper in polite company. Christians throughout the centuries broadcasted it in the streets, all around the world, and all throughout the generations. Paul boasted about the cross in his letter to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.19. Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified in Galatians 3.1. He boasted in the rest of his epistles, We preach Christ crucified in 1 Corinthians 1.23. Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2.2. He spoke of the message of the cross in 1 Corinthians one eighteen. He was not ashamed of the cross. The offense of the cross in Galatians 5.11. The triumph of the cross in Colossians 2.15. The wonder of the cross in Philippians 2.8. And as Ryken says again, Paul was always boasting about the cross. And God forbid that he should ever boast about anything else. Christ crucified meant the world to him as it should to us. The Christ is not just something to boast about. It is the only thing to boast about. Why? Why is, why should the cross be the only one thing that Paul boasted about and why we ought to boast only about? As Pastor Mez McConnell says, our faith centers on a bloody, broken man who was beaten, humiliated, scourged, and put to death in one of the most barbaric, cruel punishments possible? Why so horrific, he asks? Because that is how bad sin is. Brothers and sisters, why is the cross of Christ our only boast? Why is the cross of Christ our only glory? And why should it be our only obsession? Because those who know the agony and the horror of the cross and what Christ bore on our behalf understand just a tiny glimpse of the wretched depravity of our own souls in sin and those who know such sorrow and pain of sin can begin to appreciate the infinite eternal unspeakable gift and glory of salvation through faith alone by grace alone in Christ alone amen brothers and sisters friends and visitors this is the good news of Jesus Christ It is the best news you will ever hear that a holy God created the world and created us for us to know His infinite and eternal love. The love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But man, tempted by Satan, distrusted God's word, didn't he? Rebelled against God by seeking to be our own God's. We were set on a path to consequential and eventual death and eternal hell completely severed from God, utterly incapable of saving ourselves and enslaved in bondage to the curse and power of sin, Satan and death. But God. God had a plan from the beginning to set apart a people for himself to know his forgiving redeeming love. His plan was to send his only son Jesus Christ who became truly God and truly man to live the perfect sinless life we could not live to die the substitute death we should have died. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath we justly deserved and pay the punishment we would have paid in eternal hell. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? Jesus rose again on the third day, just as it was written that he would be, just as Jesus himself declared he would, which proved who he was, the promised Messiah, God in flesh, And by His resurrection, brothers, sisters, friends, and visitors, Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death forever, once and for all. He has forgiven us of the sins of the past, present, and future, once and for all. That whosoever looks to Him and trusts in Him by grace through faith would be granted new and eternal life. This was God's will. This is God's will from the beginning that He will receive all the glory for the salvation and restoration of all those who love and fear His name, that all glory will be due unto Him forever and ever. Salvation is His work alone from beginning to finish, not on us, ever. Guests and visitors, if you are here and you do not know yourself to be a Christian, here's God's invitation for you. The promises of the flesh and of the world and of Satan are empty and thoroughly dissatisfying. It only leads to one end. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. And after that, after death, is eternal hell, forever apart from God in regret and endless torment, if you reject God's only salvation through Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, we are praying for you, that you will not reject Him today. Don't hesitate to receive and trust Him this afternoon, this moment. For all of human history, no one else has come for sinners to forgive sinners, to heal and restore sinners to new life, to give certain hope and joy, and to give you present help in time of need. Only through, only in the cross of Christ, only by the instrument of His death, can you and I have life. Amen? If you are here and you are not a Christian, I plead with you today, do not leave this place without responding to Him. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Today is the day for you to respond. Repent of your sins. That means to turn from your sins, to turn from trusting in the things of this world or trusting in yourself. Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you and trust in him with your past, with your present, and with your future. He is able to carry you to the end. Talk to one of the pastors at the doors at the close of service or talk to someone smiling next to you. We are happy to share with you what amazing joy it is to follow Jesus Christ with the brothers and sisters of this local church body. Dear brothers and sisters of New Covenant Baptist, uh, over 23 years ago at Passion One Day Conference, some of you guys may remember, Pastor John Piper preached one of his most famous sermons which impacted thousands of brothers and sisters around the world to live lives entirely for the cross of Christ. And he preached that sermon based on Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. It was a sermon that I too heard a year later and was converted under the summer after my freshman year in college. And it was through this sermon that I fully surrendered my life to Christ when I understood the cost of Christ's cross and the good news of Jesus Christ for me. And around this time of my salvation was the first time I seriously considered going into full-time ministry to become a pastor. It was a very hard decision because I knew the expectations my parents had for me for the huge sacrifice they made to send me to America to achieve the American dream. Eventually, when I decided to go to seminary instead of law school, they disowned me. I shared with you about this many times, and our relationship has never been the same since. But can I tell you how much it was worth it? Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world because Christ was crucified for me. In other words, I am dead to the world. I am dead to the flesh. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. But this is not my testimony only. It is our testimony, isn't it? I emailed you and asked you guys to help me. Stories of your own pursuing of Christ. One of you shared you gave up chasing after man's approval, which was very hard because you believed that you weren't able to be loved by anybody at all. But when you came to know Christ, you understood that human love can fail, but God's love never fails. And now you stand firmly in God's love, and His love propels you to be unafraid of being the person God created you to be. One of you shared, you gave up on the world's invitation to pursue worldly, ungodly relationships. But you testify it's worth it because Christ is infinitely sweeter. One of you shared you gave up on many of your closest friends' relationships you've been forging for over 15 plus years because of the sinful practices that they regularly engaged in. But you say, it's worth it because through Christ you gained true brothers and sisters in Christ and that the Lord blesses you with even more than you could ask or imagine through the local church, Jesus' body. One of you shared, because of your faith in Christ, you suffered a strained relationship with your family and wasn't able to talk to them for years, but it was all worth it because your life would be empty if you had chosen differently. Brothers and sisters, you've shared so many more stories that I was so encouraged by about the persecution and suffering you received from family and friends because of your decision to follow Christ. But I did not read of one account where somebody said, Man, I regretted that choice. No way. Because boasting and glorifying in the cross of Christ means death to our outer body, but life to our inner soul. Amen? Death to the outer body, but life in the inner soul. Indeed, as Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says in verse 15 for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. All that religious stuff means nothing. But what matters is the new creation. Religion means nothing. Only new life in Christ. As Paul says again in a different verse 1 Corinthians 5 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new has come. And look at the promise and hope for those who only boast in the cross of Christ in verse 16. Look at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. By the interesting phrase, the Israel of God, Paul is emphasizing the point that true Israel, the true church, is not ethnic Israel, are not Jews only. But those who walk by this rule, this reality of the new creation, this glorying in the cross of Christ. And for those who walk in it, notice the confidence in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Paul is simply saying, come what may. Come what may. And Paul says it more explicitly in Romans 31 and on. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul concludes in verse 18, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It is only by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we will persevere to the end. Amen? Is this your testimony? Is this your boast? Is this your glory? I hope and pray that this boast, this glory, the glory of the cross of Christ, will persevere you to the end. On the screen, you will see our next hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let's sing it together with just our voices only as a
1: testimony of faith. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince for
0: all to you you are our only boast you are our only glory you are our only treasure you are our only obsession father help us to live for you and you alone for your glory in Christ's name we pray